Ready for a different kind of distance? In South Dakota's open spaces, there's room to ride, stop, and explore. When you're ready to travel, great places are waiting. Learn more at TravelSouthDakota.com. Curling fans, you've come to the one place with everything you need involving USA Curling and more. It's the Extra Extra In podcast with the 12th In Sports Network and hosts Price Atkinson and Joe Calabrese. Get ready for everything you need to know. News, interviews, points of view, and club spotlights. Anything involving USA Curling can be found here. It's the Extra Extra In podcast with the 12th In Sports Network. Now, here are Price and Joe. All right, two in one week. What do we owe the uh, What do we owe the favor? We hope uh, everybody's having a good week and uh, doing well wherever you are. Is myself, Price Atkinson, Joe Calabrese from snowy Rochester, New York, along with Dustin Tomasetti, our good friend Specs in uh, in Duluth, Minnesota. Is we're second time this week. Is a lot is happening around the world of USA curling. We're going to get into it uh, here on the Extraction Podcast with the 12th End Sports Network. Um, guys, uh, let's just get right to the chase. Um, team changes are abound. Uh, we obviously talked earlier in the week, Joe, about Christensen and and Peterson. Uh, we got into that, uh, I guess, before we get into uh, the Sinclair stuff. Let's, let's just touch on Dropkin real fast because as we find out this week, uh, announcement, their uh, young bucks, all five, are staying together. But... Um, Alex Fenson going to be the uh, the alternate slash fifth on that team. Joe Polo does return, which to me uh, was a bit surprising, especially after uh, finding a seat at Nationals uh, until he was brought in later in the week. Your reaction, gentlemen? Well, you know what? I, I guess I'm not surprised um, that the, the four young bucks were going to stick together. I'm, I'm, I guess, as surprised as you are, Price, about uh, Joe sticking with the team. Um I don't know what other options were sort of out there in terms of HP program for Joe, but Joe uh, certainly played himself into one of those types of spots um, with his play all throughout last year. Um, I, I, I'm happy that Joe's uh, going to be playing vice full time, so to speak. And I think that that's good for the team. I think uh, the continued growth of that, that team is really dependent on um, some of the uh, experience that Joe brings to the table. Yeah. I'll have to, also agree with uh, a lot of stuff that Joe just said. I remember the uh, podcast you guys did after Nationals, and I think I commented to you, Price, that mm-hmm. uh, I thought you guys were overly friendly about that uh, <laughs> that whole thing. Um, us all being sports fans, uh, you know, right, other sports other than curling, you look at uh, the year that that team had with Joe playing third and uh, moving up to number 11 in the world. And obviously doing well at the slam and some other things like that uh, to, to what happened out to him out there, I thought was like a huge slap in the face. Uh, so for him to uh, stick with this team really shows the great relationship he has, obviously, with Corey and the other guys. And uh, so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I sat down with Corey after and I gave him some of my my opinions obviously i'm not short of them and uh i thought they were great with joe on the ice i thought they had a really good chance at nationals with joe on the ice and as soon as i sat him down i didn't th- i didn't think they had much of a chance honestly and uh for him to stick with them shows obviously you know joe being the great guy he is and it obviously shows the maturity of all those guys too uh 
after going what they went through at nationals uh, to know that, you know, they have a really good chance to show on the ice and the team will keep growing and getting better. And I think it obviously helps uh, the development of Corey as a skip. Uh, Joe and Corey have a great relationship, you know, both being here in Duluth, they can throw rocks at each other. I think people forget uh, the importance of that. Uh, having a skip and a third together in the same town, throwing rocks at each other, feeding off each other. Uh, it's just, it's a little forgotten thing uh, in in the new world of curling with people all across the country and trying to come together. They fly together to an event and they haven't seen each other in a month and depend, and they expect to play great. You know, just having that relationship with those guys in town. And I think it's a great thing. I'm probably rambling a little too much, but I well, think I got to my point. Well, what I was going to say, I mean, it cuts to the heart of the communication point too, you know, when they're play, especially when they're playing right there together. Um, and you obviously saw the chemistry on the ice. You saw how well they played and the results they got. And I thought, you know, from a communication standpoint was, you know, was really good, you know, sitting literally front row with them, uh, watching them play at a couple slams. And so, I mean, the results spoke for themselves. Yeah, Corey had so much trust in Joe. I mean, they, they've been playing league together in Duluth forever uh, since Corey moved to town. Uh, they have just such a great relationship and a, honestly, just even with their age gap, a great friendship. And uh uh, that that just showed, and and I think Corey excelled with Joe out on the ice. Joe um, advanced so much last year. Uh, he's always been obviously a great player, but strictly mostly at second. And uh, I, I believe because of the team he was on, uh, playing the third position, I believe he just grew so much as a curler, even at his age and all of his accomplishments. Uh, you know, he was like like Joe said. I, I mean, probably the best free agent out there that we thought, and uh, to stick it out. Uh, number one thing that I thought was the issue with the Young Bucks was their communication on the ice at Nationals without Joe there. Uh, just, it was uh, honestly, a, 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 and if they listen, I really don't care, but at times it's hard to watch. I, I think I told one of them, I believe Corey, that I had to shut the volume off of the Schuster game, the best game of the week. I had to shut the volume. It wasn't, you know, listening to you guys. You guys are fine. Uh, but their on-ice communication was unbearable, uh, and I, I felt bad for everyone out on the ice. That's, and I know that's kind of harsh, but it's actually it's very much the truth on what I feel, and they might have figured that out too. <laughs> Joe, uh, you know, I, I think you got to point out, and, and I'll just say, you know, I, I know that Polo had you know some other opportunities um, and, and and had a choice to make, but um, from what I've been, what I've heard and unconfirmed is that, you know, I think that choice probably, at least in in my mind was probably made a lot easier. Um, You know, Sean Rajeski, who was their team coach last year. uh, What I've heard a little bit about is that he won't be back as their team coach uh, this year. Obviously I'm sure there was probably some hard feelings with the coaching staff making that uh, what I would term nothing short of shocking upon finding that out. Once we got to Spokane that, that Joe, Polo was going to sit um, and not play. I literally thought it was a joke when I first heard it, but you know that decision made by the coaching staff. But uh, when it comes to decisions, that decision to return to the Young Bucks made easier um, without Sean Rajeski again unconfirmed, uh, but not being back as the coach because uh, you know he was the one that made the choice ultimately. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting, Price. We're sort of starting to hear rumblings about coaching changes, program changes. Um, you know, some are confirmed, some are unconfirmed. Um, obviously, I think for Joe, he's going to have to have a lot of trust in the and uh, the fact that whoever's going to be brought on is going to kind of live with the, uh, the lineup as it is. I, I can't imagine Joe being able to stomach having another situation like what happened at Nationals last year. 
Yeah. Oh, here, and also I'll add a little bit here. I mean, first off, like Sean is a great guy and he, he was a great coach and he had a great relationship with all those guys on the team. Yep. Obviously him and Joe played together forever. Yep. And for this, the ha- for what happened, it was just, it was honestly, it was a little bit head scratching. I, I enjoy Sean. He's a great curling mind. He's a great player. He's very dedicated. Uh, I, I mean, going, I don't want to ramble on about this, but I mean, that decision obviously was like the most, it was, you know, it was interesting. <laughs> I know it was just very, very interesting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, going forward, I, I think that the ki- the guys, kids, I just called it, wanted to call them kids. I'm only so much older than these well, guys. Well, they're the young the bucks. The, I, exactly. So, yeah, the young bucks. And, uh, you know, going forward, I, you know, coaches are great. You know, you can get a lot out of them. But it, at the end of the day, and I think curling teams that have real deal success, they learn how to use the coach. And you can't let the coach dictate everything that goes on the team, especially in curling. I mean, you have four adults. you got to know four or five adults. you got to know what's best for the team and what's good going forward. Uh, you know, going back to that decision is that if they would have came out and said, all right, uh, the Young Bucks, us four, we're going to go out and we're going to play this Nationals because that's going to be the team that we're going to take the Olympic run with. Mm-hmm. If they would have, if they would have came out and said that, and that's what they were going to do, I would have been like, all right, well, you know, cheers guys, go, go at it. You know, but to have what happened the whole year, yeah. the whole year and, 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 and the progression and then just how it went down, it's just very puzzling and whatever happened behind the scenes happens, you know, we can, we all hear our own stuff when we go yeah. by that we can all form our own opinions. But I, I think that they made a really big step. I told Corey, uh, he came in for a panel is on you the other day. I said, you guys put on your big boy pants to make the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Uh, Joe, you got anything else you want to add before we, uh, you know, kind of shift over to the women's side? Well, I mean, just in terms of coaches and I, I guess one of the things that, um, I was super impressed with uh, from nationals last year was uh, coach Mark Lazar and um, how mature he is. And he might be the type of person that if the young bucks were able to bring him on, um, I think might improve their overall communication on the ice decision-making some of the things that maybe specs uh, had seen at at nationals last year. I, I, I'd like to see Mark get that call. I think he'd be a well-deserved call. Yeah. I've heard another name mentioned potentially is uh, is a coach for for the Young Bucks next year. I won't get into it again. I don't have it confirmed uh, on Rajeski, but I know with their team announcement coming out, a lot of times if if a team does have a coach, they couple the coach with you know what their team announcement lineup is going to be for the upcoming season. So uh, we didn't get that with them. So that that remains to be seen. Let's talk about the women's side. Um, the new team Sinclair, gentlemen. Um, your reaction, I guess maybe your surprise. I guess the, the, the surprise would be Monica coming out of retirement. Uh, I thought, you know, after she was out, I kind of thought she might have been done. Uh, she kind of seemed like she was spent. But I think really the opportunity for her to play back end, which she's really always wanted to do, probably got her motivated. And uh, and obviously she missed the game a bit. So I would say that was, that was definitely the surprise. Uh, and maybe another partial surprise that Jamie, you know, Jamie stayed in this country, which she probably has a great, the, the best opportunity to do well. But she could have, you know, went up north, I guess, and maybe maybe fielded some calls. I have no idea. But uh, those would be the two surprises. You know, the young front end, um, from what I've been told, talking to a few people, is that they have uh, all the shooting talent in the world. Maybe got a little bit to learn in the sweeping end uh, to 
obviously be a force, but uh, they, they have all the talent in the world to be able to do well. Uh, I think I told the other day, Price, like I think this team might come out hot. That's kind of thing. When you put these new teams together, uh, they come out firing. Hopefully, you know, obviously we got to, hopefully there's a, a long season of curling, but uh, I think they, they have, you know, they have, they have uh, all the talent to do well. Yeah, Spex, I think you're right. I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this team is that they really have um, three fourth stone throwers from last season, and then Monica, who played mixed doubles through last stone and mixed doubles. So a um, lot of shooting talent on this team. Uh, I would agree that um, probably on the sweeping end of things, they're, they may need a little bit of work. Um, I guess I'm surprised about a few different things around this team. One, um, you know, obviously Monica coming out of retirement was sort of a, a surprise, but she had kind of into, uh, hinted about a month before, I think, that she had missed uh, curling. And I, I don't know if that was sort of a shot across the bow to anybody who was sort of listening to see if uh, there might be interest somewhere. Um, but, you know, this team um, being the third team that's been announced, it, it also puts out Team Bear. And um, I was a little bit surprised that none of those players got the call to play with this team since they were already in the program. Um, and that uh, someone like Elizabeth Cousins... Uh, got the call instead not taking anything away from elizabeth uh, um, but it's also the the second time in the last two years that the fourth stone thrower from ariel traxler's team at nationals got the call to, to be in the hp program and ariel is sitting on the side so it, it's kind of interesting um with her bronze medal finish and taking jamie uh really giving jamie all she can handle in the semifinal that ariel sort of sitting on the outside looking in too well i guess uh, i mean adding to that is that uh, you know, you have the, your three teams with, you know, uh, you know, if Jamie was an option, you have to throw her in there. Um, she, I mean, I flat out think when it comes to throwing the rock, I think she's the best we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think there's some other struggles as far as like team chemistry sometimes, but uh, I mean, when it comes out to just flat out curling, Jamie is amazing. Uh, you know, in person watching, um, watching some of the big events, I've always thought like she's one of the best out there as far on the women's side. I mean, as far as like making shots and she sometimes struggles a little bit in the draw end of things. Uh, I think, I think she gets a little excited, but I mean, just with flat out shot making, she, she might be the best we have. So, uh, you know, putting this team together and, uh, you know, they didn't get much out of that third team last year, uh, but it comes back to, you know, I think one of the bigger issues with obviously we have some coaching changes in the ranks this, this week and, you know, up top a little bit. But I think really the the biggest problem our country has right now is the development of skips. And if they're not developing the, the these younger people, on, obviously, we do have some young talent in the skip on, on a little bit on the men's or women's, you know, and someone in their younger 20s. But uh they have to start developing some of these younger people. And uh, if, if we're giving the boot out to the young, young people at age out of juniors and not developing them, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long road for us, you know, 10 years from now. So. Yeah. I, I think that in, in tell me if you guys agree in just talking to people last few days and, you know, hearing, it, it seems like there's just, yeah, optically that there is a clear division now on the women's side, a clear division of labor, whatever you want to call it. Um, that, that obviously tabs team is the unquestioned number one. Whereas before it was kind of, you know, tab and Jamie one and one, one a, uh, but now it's really the pecking order is, is pretty clear with, with Peterson, uh, Christensen followed by Sinclair in that order. Agree, disagree. Yeah, I think I agree with that price. I think, um, 
it, Corey has a lot of skipping experience, so I'm not super concerned about her takes on that team. Um, but I think, uh, Jane, I think Specs is right. The Jamie shot making sort of set her apart uh, from most of the people in the program. And um, I do think that team will miss that uh, a little bit. Um, but Sarah Anderson, who will be playing full time now, I think um, makes up for that in, in a pretty good way. But I would agree with you in that packing order, I think sounds about right. I, I think really the biggest thing, Price and Joe, is that, you know, during these times of uh, uh, living the coronavirus lifestyle is that, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's not going to be a whole lot of time to come together. So you look definitely at that Peterson team that they have, you know, they have already great chemistry. They had a great yep. season last year. Uh, you put those things together and on ice, you know, starting starting out the season whenever it does start. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, they're they're just right now. I think they're head and shoulders now. Granted, Corey has a lot of experience with her teammates that she's going to be playing with, so it might not be much. Uh, you know, it might not take much to make up that gap. But right now, that gap's pretty big in my mind. Yeah, good point on the chemistry side because. When play begins, we don't know. But like you said, I mean that that team has been together. One thing that that I'll be curious, and and, and I'm, you got to imagine it's it's coming at some point. If 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 not already, I, I mean I don't think it's happened yet. But you got to imagine that there's going to be a fifth player added to both the the Sinclair and Christensen's team because obviously mixed doubles, especially going into some uncharted waters. If you know, heaven forbid, somebody gets sick, um, you know, gets a virus on one of the teams, you need a fifth, especially with the amount of mixed doubles uh, that's being played. Now, maybe the, something that would go against that argument about you know a teams, you know, those two teams adding a, a fifth player is, I mean, what if we have a very shortened season this year? I mean, if it's a shortened season, maybe the need is not there to pick up. Uh, a fifth player. We'll talk about that in the last segment in terms of maybe possible length of season, seeing events already canceled. But uh, you got to think that at least uh, traditionally, you're going to see a player added to both the Christensen and Sinclair rinks. Who they are, we don't know. Could it be somebody from uh, the Bear team this past year? I too was a little bit surprised there wasn't at least one player, uh, Maddie maybe herself, that wasn't put on or you know wasn't picked up for for one of the the three current teams. Yeah, I guess, Price, I, I think you're making some really good points. I, I guess they have the luxury of, of waiting a little bit now, um, not knowing necessarily when the season is going to start. Um, my guess is they probably have some people in mind that we're just not hearing about. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're right, you know, that the fact that they didn't pick up anybody from that team, it's sort of weird, this this whole thing where, where you know, Jamie was sort of jettisoned from her own team. I mean, it has this cascading effect on, yeah. on that whole team. And so uh, you wonder if they're the type of team that, that is sort of like uh, Schuster and they come together and they decide, hey, we're going to stick it out and figure it out in a different way. Or uh, do they fall apart and fall onto different teams and, and maybe get picked up by other uh, by other teams? Yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with that. But we'll take a we'll take a quick uh, break here, uh, just a very quick play a couple uh, play a couple tunes. We'll come right back because we got some staff changes. Uh, you know, we got events being canceled. We got more to get to. As joined by the Godfather Joe Calabrese, and then obviously my man uh, Dustin Tomasetti specs from the Duluth Curling Club and the Pickwick bar, Restaurant and Bar there in downtown Duluth. I'm Price Atkins, and we'll come right back. We'll do another segment here on the Extract Trend. We'll be right back. The NBA is back. 
Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the rafters? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Let's get it out of here. Where else is history still in the making? Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins tonight on TNT. All right, final segment rolling along here. The emergency edition this week of the X-Tractor End. Uh, Joe Calabrese, the godfather. Uh, Dustin Tomasetti from Duluth. Myself, Price Atkinson. Uh, guys, we, we did get uh, on the coaching staff side. Uh, obviously released by the USCA this week, Jess Schultz, uh, two-time Olympian. She's been hired to lead the women's HP program, HP what it's called for now, uh, until the new managing director is named. But um, is what we know at the HP program, Jess Schultz hired to lead that. Um, and then also as well as the junior programs. I think certainly the junior program is a great fit for her because of a lot of the grassroots stuff she's done, working with, with kids and building, helping start and build clubs. Um, how surprising was that to both of you guys? I guess not too surprising for me, Price. I think, um, you know, Jeff, great curling mind, two-time Olympian, three-time national champion, um, has lots of grassroots experience. She's um, really, I think, I think you're right. She, in terms of sort of the junior program, she should be terrific. I mean, she's she's great with younger players. Uh, I do think that uh, it, it's a new role for her, for sure. I mean, you know, it's certainly different being a, you know, somebody who's like the director of a program as opposed to somebody in the program. Um, but she's been at the highest level. And I think that it's, it's a good choice. If you're going to take somebody who doesn't necessarily have that, that running of a program experience, you better bring somebody on who's been there and justice is that person. Yeah. I'll, I'll echo a little bit that what Joe just talked about is that, you know, it, it seems like it's a good fit for her, especially on the junior side of things. I think it's I'm going to sit back and wait and see kind of what the overall plan is I, I, to really form my opinion. I think she's a great fit for uh, anywhere in the USCA just because of her experience and, and her overall knowledge. And she's just a hard ass worker. Uh, she lo loves the work and grind it out. So uh, I wished her congratulations right after it happened. And she seems pretty darn excited. Uh, the the job though oh my goodness gracious you're ahead of the ju the juniors on both sides and the women's uh, that seems like a full plate so that's why I'm saying I'm gonna wait and see what happens how it's gonna be because right now you have two you have the the girls and guys and juniors that are both relegated uh, they can't go to worlds right now and you have you know you have a women's side that has a bunch of new faces and and figuring that out and it's the year of uh, you know, you, the world championships are going to determine who go, who's going to the Olympics for the most part. So there's a little bit of pressure there. And it's sure it seems like, a you know, in, in my line of work, it seems kind of like a like a, kind of like my job. You got to juggle like a, a bunch of different kinds of personalities and a bunch of different tasks. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Yeah. So with that, um, with the addition of Jess Schultz, um I, I don't know how else to, to read this any other way, but the, the release from the USCA, um, it read like that Dave, uh, Dave Jensen, who had led the junior program for the, you know, for a while. And, um, and Pete Vinson, who was, was the head of the women's side, uh, of the HP program, um, 
the way that the way the release read it, that both Dave and, and Pete are out. Did I read that wrong, or is that how you guys both uh, both took it? I think that's the way I saw it, Price. I mean, you know, Dave and, and Pete both have made an unbelievable contributions to the sport for sure. Um, but I, I definitely read it exactly the same way. I was a little surprised, um, to be honest with you, in that part of this, that there, there maybe isn't a role for either of them somewhere in, in the program. But, um, yeah, I, I read it exactly the same. It was a it was a very interesting how that release was written out. Uh, uh, I'll just leave it at that, and uh, we'll move forward. <laughs> it was interesting. Uh, it was very interesting. All right, uh, real quick, uh, a note of the Junior High Performance Program applications are due today as we're recording here now on Friday afternoon, May the 8th. So I uh, hope if you've got intentions to get involved, you are, you are going to get those in uh, before uh, time runs out. Um, speaking of time, guys, not something that we have a lot of before um, another season is up, is upon us. The 2020-21 season around the corner, but uh, like we found out last week, the Canad ends. Um, men's and women's events canceled. Uh, just today we find out the Shorty Jenkins Classic is axed as well. So, I mean, we've, we've talked in the last couple weeks about clearly the fluid nature of, of everything that's happening um, nationwide with sports and, and everything going on. But to see some of these, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, so these, you know, early season tour events that a lot of teams use to tune up, um, to win some money, um, they, these are being axed. Uh, they, we know that the, a couple of the big ones, a couple of good ones, um, I think Portage, as I last was hearing, was hanging in the balance as well. I know there, <laughs> I know Plies, Chris Plies would be uh, not sad to see that one go at all. Um, but this is starting to start to see the dominoes fall as far as a season next year, how it might shape up, when and where we might have events. Um, but the cancellation um, it is obviously not good news. Yeah, Price, I, I, we're looking at two different factors here, aren't we? I mean, one is sort of the health and safety of everybody involved and, sure. and what that takes in order to actually, you know, run an event like that. Um, I, I'm a COO of a nonprofit organization, very small, about 17 people. Yep. And I'm in charge of putting together our back-to-work plan. So I can only imagine the complexity that event organizers are dealing with if they're even thinking about trying to, to run their events right now. And then on the, on the flip side of things, if they, even if they decided they wanted to run the, the event, a lot of these folks have sponsors and if their sponsors are not at work, they may not have revenue to sponsor anything. So yeah. um, I think you're looking at two different factors here that are sort of, um, you know, colliding at exactly the wrong time um, to, that is probably causing some of these folks to think about whether or not they ought to have these events. Yeah. I def- I definitely agree with those two things that you just said. I think also a third factor, and I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to get political, is that, I mean, it's how Canada is going to handle handle all of this and how the U.S. is going to handle all this, you know. So if, if Canada stays aggressive, you know, uh, as far as travel goes and the, the borders and all those types of things, uh, you know, that could play a factor. And I think that's kind of why you're seeing some foreshadowing and people are getting aggressive about making decisions about these events. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. Instead of sitting back and having the what if, what if it's so, it's so hard to make decisions. You know, I can, I could talk to you guys three hours about what's going on, you know, in my business and uh, I'm not going to get into that, but uh uh, you know, just having a plan and knowing what's going to happen a little bit 
will help these teams. It will help the organizations as far as the curling organizations being able to uh, see how they're going to handle their season. I know Price, we talked about that in a, a couple episodes ago on, you know, what if, you know, say it doesn't start till January, how, how do you figure out what teams and those type of things, uh, you know, that, that, that might be the reality that we're looking towards. I just hope there's enough smart people to make the decisions that need to get made. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, Price. Yep, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The other thing I was thinking was it might provide an opportunity, particularly for for clubs in the U.S. I mean, if if um, Canada is still very aggressive and like border crossings are very difficult, um, which is, is sort of the case right now, um, and events are being canceled in, in Canada that, that some of these U.S. teams want to go to, maybe that provides an opportunity for a club in the U.S. to to put on an event um, to kind of get something on the calendar. Um, but I, I, I haven't heard of anything as early in the year, although it's still snowing here in Rochester. So it, I guess yeah. it's late in the winter in May. Well, I mean, it's uh, it, it, go ahead, Specs. No, well, I was just going to say, I feel like I'm back in that stupid draft we did. I just, he, you saw the next thing I was going to say, Joe, <laughs> is that I think there's going to be opportunity for clubs in this country um, to possibly, you know, get some big deal events if, you know, it's a little looser on our, our side of the border and maybe some clubs get some opportunity to bring in some high profile Canadian teams if they're allowed to travel to maybe, you know, try to do some, some big events here. I mean, it's speculatory, I, you know, to say, but I, you know, looking at things, you know, I, I think it's honestly just the beginning, um, you know, event cancellations. I mean, I've always been of the opinion, and this is just only my strict, this is my own opinion, is that I don't think we'd really see curling get going again until January. Uh, that's just what I've kind of felt, you know, deep down. Um, but I mean, there's just so many issues. I mean, you guys touched on some of that. I mean, you know, I know we got the first Grand Slam event that's scheduled for, you know, for mid to late October in Sarnia. I, I'm hoping it happens because it's the home of Heater McCormick and I, I want to see heat. It's been too damn, damn long. Um, but, you know, you know, there, there are issues with that. I mean, do, is that even going to be played? If it is, you know, travel restrictions. I talked to a couple of European players uh, this past week and, and talked about how, how how bad that would be for the sport if if it were just Canadian teams only that played in the Grand Slams. But what if you have travel bans that are still in place? What if I mean certain European teams, you know, from from certain countries, you know, they don't have a travel ban that that's lifted. Obviously, we don't know, um, you know, with the Canadian border and, and traveling to Canada and quarantining, what that's going to look like months from now. I mean, again, we're we, you know, we're speculating, but I mean, do we have a second wave? I mean, does an, does another wave of this pop up? Uh, which you know. You talk to experts and you hear them on television. They they think that's coming. I mean, flight costs. How do flight costs double? Um, you know, with the airline industries trying to get back on their feet and without the sponsors, you know, how much of a pinch financially is this for? You know, for teams and NGBs to, you know, to be able to fund their travel to go back and forth, you know, across the world. I uh, there's just so many different issues and and layers to this thing, guys. Yeah, Price. I think you hit on something that's pretty important here. I mean. A lot of these teams, I mean, they're self-funded. They, they, the, the margins already, it's a losing proposition to travel the world to do curling. Um, if, but if for some reason the expenses explode, how, how likely are some of these teams to make the trek across the Atlantic uh, to the U.S. or to Canada to do these events? Um, I think that's a good point, a real good point. I, I think it's time for everyone just to go over to Sweden. Let's get this damn thing going. <laughs> well, it's interesting, like, like the sports that are like sort of thinking about getting going right now, they're going to be the guinea pigs, right? They're going to be the beta testers for all this 
and um, the complexity around curling, particularly at the at the uh, tour level, is the world representation, right? I mean, the people coming from all over, um, and you know, it, it, that's a greater factor than a team that maybe can be sequestered, you know, maybe for basketball. Um, it, it's a little bit different you know, for sure, but it, it's nice that, that we have a little bit of time to start working the, working out the details of this, and that other sports are out there sort of being the guinea pig. Yeah, another thing too is, I mean, curling is not. We we obviously know it's not golf. We know it's not, you know, uh, auto racing where you can push people apart. I mean, you've it, it's also not football where you're, you know, hot, sweaty, pressed up against each other like in football or basketball. You know, baseball is a little bit different too. But, um, you know, I think the, the big question is, you know, it, number one, is it worth it? But what happened? The, you know, I think all the leagues right now are saying, you know, basically what happens when one, the first person gets sick. I know. In, I think what in Korea during that in that uh, Korean baseball league that's back up and running. You know, I think they said something about three weeks. If one player ends up testing positive, then I believe it's a three week shutdown. I think for that team. I'm not, I don't know about the entire league, but you know, if if one person you know crops up and, and tests positive, that that's at one of these events. Do things come to a halt again? Because that's really where you have real problems. If you start this stuff up again, and then you have to, bam, cut it off cold turkey again, boy, that's to me that 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 is real worst case scenario. Trace, you're making my anxiety jump up way too high right now. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know I think we're all I think we're all anxious to get back to some semblance of normalcy to get you know curling back at some point, but. You know, in this time, I think we've all become accustomed in the last two months to, to kind of deal with unknowns for what we don't know because we really don't know much anything. All I know is I want some sports back on TV. I don't I don't like NASCAR at all, but I just I just might watch that crap next weekend just because I need to see something. I don't even like UFC, and I think that's going to be going on this weekend. I might have to even turn that on. I just need to see some competition, boys. Yeah, we're all ready for that, aren't we? Yeah, the UFC is like it has like the best card of all time on Saturday or tomorrow. Sorry, and uh, I, I th- yeah, I think it'll. I th- I'm going to watch the UFC tomorrow, and it's going to take a little bit more than that for me to watch NASCAR. I am not boogity 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 about anything <laughs> when it comes to that. Yeah. I heard about a, a charity golf event happening soon with Peyton Manning and uh, Tom Brady and uh, uh, Phil and Tiger. So that should be a fun event. Uh, you know, it's something fun to watch, you know, in the off season, so to speak. You know, the only thing I know about NASCAR, guys, is if you're not first, you're last. Uh, that quote by the esteemed Ricky Bobby um, from Talladega Nights. But one thing I meant to mention just real quick is I don't know if you, either of you saw the announcement by um, the Scottish Curling Federation earlier today where they made an announcement that uh, instead of the Scottish national champion automatically moving forward and representing um, Scotland at, at, at the World Championships and, and Great Britain, you know, at the Olympics. Um, they made the announcement that it would be discretionary now. Um, and in talking with some of the Scottish guys this morning, you know, that they told me that this had, had been something that British curling had, had been pressuring for a while. I won't get into the nuances between uh, British curling and, and Scottish curling, but um, I guess what I why I bring it up is in terms of a potential prelude. That this was this was made specifically for, you know, in terms of picking who they thought is their best representative to go compete at the 2022 Olympics is Team Great Britain. However, I bring it up because is this a prelude to potentially changes we see made? I think you and I have all three of us have. 
he pontificated and talked about this here because if we have a if we have a shortened season this next year and we do have a U.S. championship that's played, you know, as we all hope it is in in February in Iowa, is there going to be a discretionary element added because of the stringent now? one shot or you're in or out situation really that in terms of Olympic qualification for 2022, um, is this something we're going to see maybe with other federations pop up to, to give more discretionary, um, you know, an, a discretionary element that's stronger or in play? I, I kind of hope not. I really, I guess I'm more traditionalist. Like I really want to see whoever wins nationals be the team that goes to world every year. Like that's, that's, the the dream right you know that's the 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 thing that everybody plays for right they want to win they want to win get to nationals and they want to win nationals get to worlds they would like to win nationals or the olympic trials and get to the olympics i mean that that's the that's the whole idea. um i understand the whole idea that maybe um the team that wins was the hot team that week and they might not be the hot team when they get to the olympics but it might work the other way around too so um i guess i'm pretty traditionalist I, i'd like to see the winner of nationals be the one that goes to world uh, Joe and I are very different on this one. Uh, I I, uh, I used to be like that um, back in the day, uh, about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. Um, and then, you know, when thing, watching the culture and how things have changed. Now, I want to say first, I think whoever goes, I, I don't think we should be deciding who goes to the Olympics. I think Olympic trials is great. I think that's a good way of making it work. And uh and, and letting teams earn that, you know, because it's a very, very big honor to go to the Olympics. There's no doubt about it. So yeah. I'm all for I'm all for the Olympic trials. But as far as especially if we have a shortened season and this world championships is so important. I mean, you, you just have to send you just have to send who you think is going to do do you justice and get you into the get you into the Olympics. Uh, not obviously there's no such thing as a for sure in curling it, and you know, things can yeah. always change, but you got to put your, you got to put your two teams that are going to give you the best chance to go. And sometimes nationals doesn't give you that result. I mean, we've seen some, we've seen some funky nationals in the past, um, some weird stuff, either, you know, ice conditions, you know, we had Broomgate, you know, the, the, the nationals down in the nationals and then which ended up being the worlds that year, the nationals in down in Jacksonville and then the worlds, where was that over in uh, Switzerland? I mean, that year when all the broom stuff was going on, I mean, the nationals, I, it was unwatchable down there and by far the best team didn't win down there. It, it was, you know, rocks are being swerved by a broom, but anyhow, so I'm just getting to my point is I'm all about just sending your best horse, especially this year. Yeah. I'm actually kind of in between. Uh, I think I'm a traditionalist too, uh, but this calls, I think this situation is extraordinary. Uh, no question about it. And I think you need to take some extraordinary measures, which I, it, with this, the ongoing situation, as we know it, um, if, if we're going to have a shortened season, you know, teams aren't getting to play and, and basically let the system and season sort it all out, then I, I do think there should be some discretionary element uh, in play uh, just simply because of, of the here and now. And there's just so much on the line that you just, in a lot of ways, just can't afford it. Um, so I kind of straddle it both ways to a degree. But I, I think in the end, I, I think there's going to have to be um, a discretionary discretionary element simply because so much is so much is riding on it um, and you can call it funding 
Um, most of it is funding, but so many other things, as we all know, especially with, with obviously bringing at home a gold medal last time. So, uh, guys, anything uh, anything else on the way out the door before we uh, let you go and in, in, uh, ride off into your uh, Friday afternoon? The snow, in our case here, it's rain, Specs. I hope you at least have sunshine so we run the gamut of weather. I'm looking at Sunny Lake Superior as we speak. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Joe, any uh, parting comments? Yeah. I guess uh, one last thing I want us to keep our eyes on. I, I read something about World Curling Federation monkeying with the regions in, in some way so that the U.S. and Canada um, and the, the Americas region, I guess, would be, com- I want to say, combined with, with the uh, Pacific region in some way in terms of representing, uh, getting representation to worlds. Um, I think that might some some sort of proposal maybe up for a vote. I would just want us to keep our eye on that because that could change the way that this whole nationals to worlds thing works for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Definitely keep an eye on that uh, as we continue. Uh, we get some kind of sports news, although it's not you know wins and losses. Uh, it's a lot of stuff, uh, <laughs> whether it be an NFL draft or what's going to happen, what's not. But we get a lot of uh, speculatory speculatory and what-if stuff, but uh, definitely keep an eye on that. Guys, uh, look, have a great weekend. Enjoy uh, your weekends. We'll we'll be back to do it again next week. I have some more guests lined up, too, as uh, we start looking ahead to the uh, the finish of of the Extra Extreme podcast for the season, guys. Uh, But for uh, Joe Calabrese, Dustin Tomasetti, our good friend Specs, from Price Actions, appreciate everybody tuning in. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the Extra Extra In Podcast with Price Atkinson and Joe Calabrese. Follow the 12th In Sports Network crew on Twitter and Facebook to stay up on our weekly contests, giveaways, guests, and for upcoming episodes of the Extra Extra In Podcast. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Ready for a different kind of distance? In South Dakota's open spaces, there's room to ride, stop, and explore. When you're ready to travel, great places are waiting. Learn more at TravelSouthDakota.com.